weeknights from 6 on 2FM. Big thanks to Emma Power for keeping us entertained this afternoon. It is a Thursday, January 12th. I'm Shane Dawson and you are listening to Game On. Coming up between now and 7 o'clock, we'll get the latest from Don McLean on Davy Russell's shock return to the saddle. Nathan Johns reviews Ireland's opening T20 international defeat in Zimbabwe. Paul Corey chats Irish footballers on the move, as well as the highs and lows for Irish players in the English League Cup. And in US sport, we've Jeff Shepard on Damar Hamlin's miracle recovery. If you want to get in touch, well, please do drop us a text, 51552, or tweet us at Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. Yes, hello there, good evening. It's great to have your company on this uh, Thursday evening. Paul Corey is sitting alongside me. Paul, how are you, sir? No complaint, Shane. Couldn't be better. Good, good. That is fantastic to hear. Uh, Paul, we will be chatting football shortly and I have a couple of football headlines, uh, coincidentally enough, just to get through before we chat to Don McLean on Davy Russell. Uh, starting with the Football Association of Ireland appointing Eileen Gleeson as head of women's and girls football. Gleeson is a UEFA pro licence holder with experience coaching at domestic and international level and will report to F. FBI Director of Football, Mark Cannon. She will be responsible for helping to grow participation and retention of women and girls at all levels of the game, while also supporting wider football development strategies, ensuring there's a pathway for every woman and girl in Ireland to achieve their full potential. And secondly in football, not as positive, uh, the discovery of asbestos during the demolition of a stand in Dalyman Park could mean a reduced capacity for Bohemians' first home league game against Dundalk on February 24th. The Connock Street Terrace, which has long been condemned, was torn down in the last two months ahead of the proposed renovation of the stadium. Bows are set to install a new temporary stand for away supporters in that vicinity which would allow home fans to occupy both the Jody stand and the Des Kelly stand and increase capacity to around 4,000. However, Asbestos has slowed works on removing uh, the old stand and it means the opening home league match with Dundalk may not have the new stand. Visiting Lily White fans would instead be seated behind one of the goals and mean fewer seats for home supporters with a capacity of just 3,700. Some more disappointment for Dalyman Park. Uh, Paul, I just want to get your thoughts briefly on Eileen Gleeson uh, before we do chat um, horse racing. Fantastic appointment. Um, we all wondered where she would go when, when she left Glasgow City. Uh, she's had success domestically. She's internationally renowned, of course, with the Irish team as well. And hopefully this is a, a positive move for Irish football. Yeah, I think it is, Shane. Um, we've all seen the growth within the, the women's and girls' space in Irish football and no bigger achievement than the women qualifying for the World Cup later on this year. And I think it's very important that we have somebody who's able to represent that side of the game you know, and, and be their voice at the table when matters occur. And no better woman than Eileen Gleeson, somebody who's you know worked within Irish football for a sustained period of time, would be very aware of, I guess, starting positive, what's working well, and then work back from there, you know, what the challenges are, what needs to be improved domestically, um, you know, focusing on the women's league and bringing that up to the next rung of the ladder and, and pushing the standards on and ensuring that we get the right support, right environment, right facilities and right coaching around our, our best young talent. So it's a really positive appointment. Yeah, it's nice to actually have an appointment because I know this role was vacant and the FBI would just say, well, it's all under one umbrella and it uh, will all be looked after. But to have a sole focus on it is uh, certainly positive. Paul, you are sticking around and we're going to be chatting football a little bit later on in the uh, show. Game on. Racing. But time to turn attention to racing and Davy Russell unretiring uh, perhaps a U-turn we're going to get Don McLean's thoughts on this very shortly but first our own Greg Allen was speaking uh, to the man himself Daisy, Davy Russell a little bit earlier on today yeah sure look it was, it's the timing I suppose uh, Jack got his injury and I'm not retired that long so 
I know all the horses and I know all the owners, obviously. And, you know, we're in the vital parts of the season for them horses that everything goes right. And I suppose Gordon was happy that, you know, I was probably in a position to come back and help out the team. And basically that's all, all that it is. It's not that I'm crying in the corner, missing racing. It's just that, you know, I haven't, I haven't been away from it from that long. It's only been a couple of weeks. So I suppose we took the decision then that I'd come back and, and start, start back where I left off. And so issues of weight and, you know, the Christmas excess, that hasn't, yeah. that hasn't been an issue for you, I, I believe. Uh, no, no, I did. Look, I, I'm sure I put on a couple of pounds. Um, would you believe I don't actually want to weigh in scales? I haven't for a couple of years, but uh, my, I, I didn't get that heavy and I, I'm really used to getting it off, so it won't be a big, a big issue. It'll be a bit of a challenge, right? But it's just everything is a challenge, I suppose, these days. And the conversation you had with Gordon Elliott, was it uh, a two way conversation or did one initiate it regarding your coming back into the saddle? I know, it's, look, uh, I suppose it's not your typical manager player relationship. You know, I've known Gordon all her life, so it's, it's very easy for some one of us to ring the other um, and speak. Um, but it was a two way conversation. He just put it into, it was in, into perspective uh, what was the head and, and whether I was willing to help out. And you must remember, he was so good to me when I had my knockout, he was there for me. So it was only, it was only natural to be able to. We came in similar circumstances. You have a yard full of like incredibly talented horses and we're coming into the fillet of the season, the Dublin Racing Festival, and we know what comes after that, you know, Punchestown, Cheltenham, Aintree, whatever, you know, but um, in terms of uh, what's in that yard, it must be obviously exciting for you to get back into the saddle so quickly and know that yard is full of good horses. Yeah, that's it. I was there yesterday and we schooled an awful lot of horses and, and rode out an awful lot of horses and, you know, one after the other. I think the boys were kind of teasing me a little bit by the horses they were putting me on. There were some very special horses I rode and it's great to, to get the opportunity to ride them. You know, you're all your life trying to get the opportunity to ride them and, you know, then just to get the, the leg up would be great. So, Davy is back. Don McLean, racing journalist. What is your initial reaction to this news? Oh, it's it's a bit of a surprise, Shane, to me anyway. Um, but look, it's desperate what happened to Jack Kennedy. He's broken his leg again. He's broken it a couple of times now on, on poor top bandit there at Nace on Sunday. And you can see why, absolutely, it makes complete sense for Gordon Elliott and Davy Russell. You can see why Davy's coming back. Um, the depth of talent that Gordon has there in Cullen Tra, it's phenomenal. And it's, it's kind of, this has all coincided with the entries for the Dublin Racing Festival at Leopardstown coming out today. And just going through the entries, like the entries that Gordon Elliott has, it's phenomenal, really. You know, as as Greg and Davey were saying there, that it's a it's a deep, deep team that Gordon Elliott has. The season he's having so far, it's phenomenal, really. And you know, the conflated and Jerry Colum, Mighty Potter, Field Door, Pied Piper, Irish Point, even who's just got beaten there at the weekend. It's a phenomenal team, and like even even on Saturday now at Ferry House, just going through the entries for Ferry House. Davy Russell is riding for Gordon Elliott. He's down to ride horses. Jordan Gainford's down to ride horses for Gordon. Dennis O'Regan's down to ride horses for Gordon, all at Ferrias on Saturday. And then he's got a couple of horses going to Warwick in Britain, and Sam Ewing's going over to ride them. So it's just there's so many horses and such a depth of talent that you can see why it makes all the sense in the world. Absolutely. And just to echo your comments, I should say, on the, the desperate news about Jack Candy and the injury um, that he did suffer. You know, it is, it's it's horrible, horrible news. And um, for anyone that missed it during the week, Ruby Walsh spoke very well um, on that injury as well. And hopefully Jack does have age on his side as well. So hopefully we will see him mm-hmm. come back um, stronger. Um, does this 
I know Greg and, and Davy. I suppose a bit of a, a tongue-in-cheek question of who made the call was a, two, a two-way conversation but this really does show how close the group are uh, at yeah. Elliot's Yard yeah, I know it's a very close team. You know, they're a close knit team and you can see you can kind of imagine how it happened, the two of them. Like sure they they rode as amateur riders together. They're they're peers. And um yeah, like you can you can see how it came up. I think the, the nuances of it seems to be that Davy's kind of, you know, agreed to do it. That seems to be the way it is. But Davy Russell wouldn't go back riding if he didn't think that it made sense for him to do it. And as he says there, he's fit. And you know, the big thing, Shane, about when Davy retired he was riding as well as ever, like the season he's had so far. That's why it was a bit of a surprise when he announced it there at Thurlis just before Christmas that his, his, his bottle never went. His, 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 he always gives a horse a ride, always has done. And even at 43 years of age, he's been riding as well as ever this season. And as he says there, he's still riding out. He hasn't lost anything in terms of fitness. Interesting that he doesn't own a weighing scale. <laughs> he's going to have to get them out and see where he is at the moment. But uh, look, I'm sure he's riding out of Gordon's all the time. So he won't have lost anything in terms of fitness. He definitely hasn't lost anything in terms of uh, race riding acumen or nous or talent. So yeah, look, he's, he's going to be a massive asset again to Gordon. So I assume it should be a seamless transition back in. I mean, he's only what, retired a few weeks, sure. Yeah, no, I, I'd say so. It's three weeks, literally, and as he said himself earlier, he could have been, you could, you could have got a suspension for as long, and then you're, you're just straight back into it. And you know, it's not a, it's not a U-turn. It's not a, you know, oh, I'm going back now. I missed it for three weeks. I realised I missed racing. It's just kind of circumstances dictate that he's kind of needed, and he's going to be a big asset to, to to Gordon Elliott and his team now. And yeah, you can see why he's doing it. So, what's the good feeling? Are we going to see? Uh you know, a big, big performance and he can retire for a second time after a statement victory? Well, look, he'll, he'll go back there, Shane, and he'll ride away and I'm sure he'll ride lots of winners for, for Gordon and, you know, it'll take him definitely up to the Dublin Racing Festival and then a lot depends, I suppose, on when Jack recovers from his injury and how quickly he can recover. Um, that, that a lot of us depending like you can see him kind of, that Davey's kind of filling in while Jack's absent and when Jack comes back, then he'll step aside again. You would imagine that's that's what's going to happen. But yeah, in the interim, yeah, lots and lots of good horses to ride and lots of good races. Absolutely. Well, very best of luck to Davy Russell. Don McLean, thank you very much uh, for taking the call. Um, and as Don says there, hopefully we do see Jack back in the saddle uh, sooner than later. But in the meantime, we can enjoy uh, Davy Russell back riding again and uh, a joy uh, to see. We are going to chat US sports in a few moments' time with Jeff Shepard, Damar Hamlin's. Uh, well, not return to, to the field, but uh, exiting hospital sooner than many people would have thought. And the NFL playoffs are this weekend, so we'll be previewing those in due course. Game on. Eye on America. Now we have our Eye on America because it is a Thursday evening and Jeff Shepard is on the line. Shep, how are you, sir? I'm doing fine, Shane. Can you hear me? I can indeed. I can hear you loud and clear. Well, a bit low, but a bit louder now. You're all good, Shep. You're all good. Um, yesterday on the show, I mentioned in the news headlines that the Buffalo Bills released a statement saying Damar Hamlin has been discharged from Buffalo General Medical Center Gates Vascular Institute in New York. Hamlin was admitted on Monday and went through a comprehensive medical evaluation as well as a series of cardiac, neurological and vascular testing on Tuesday. Uh, Chef, you might be able to shed some more light. Uh, this isn't news I was expecting to see Damar Hamlin after suffering a cardiac arrest playing American football being discharged so early from hospital to continue his rehabilitation at home and indeed with the Bills. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just been an incredible 
story that obviously, you know, we've talked about a couple of times on the show, but I was just thinking about it to your point. I mean, less than 10 days ago, he suffered a major cardiac arrest and, you know, in front of the world there on Monday night football. And he spends a week or so in the hospital in Cincinnati, gets flown to Buffalo, spends a couple of days there. And then he's released. And the, uh, the doctor, you know, the statement that he said, he's, we have, you know, full faith and confidence that he can, you know, continue his rehabilitation both at home and with the bills. It really is just a testament to the care that he received. Uh, you know, I, I, Shane, one thing I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention is, on Sunday last week, the Bills honored the training staff for their response of getting out to the field so quickly, performing the CPR, using the AED, and basically not only saving his life the night of the game, but I, I saw one, the way they worded it was, you know, providing him an opportunity to have, you know, neurological and cardiac functions moving forward. That's how quickly they responded, and they just did a fantastic job. And so everybody is just over the moon about this. And, you know, Buffalo's in the playoffs this weekend, and there's probably a pretty good chance he may show up at the stadium. That would be surreal to be honest like it, has, has there been because I haven't actually read much much about support mechanisms put in place because I know for instance when Christian Eriksen um, had the issue on field as well and how harrowing that was for anyone who witnessed it and there were a lot of support mechanisms even for people to chat and, and so on have the Bills and, and the NFL as a whole um, done any progress I suppose off field in that regard? Yeah so I mean I think the players themselves Okay, so I think it was a big hurdle to get over just getting back to the stadium last week, playing a football game. Um, I'm not sure how many folks got a chance to see the game that they played against the Patriots on Sunday, but uh, the Bills returned the opening kickoff for a touchdown, and the stadium was just going absolutely bananas. Um, You know, it's just such an, an emotional release that was occurring for the players, the fans, coaches, everyone that was really involved. The the announcers were even kind of stunned into silence. I think, you know, getting back to the field, getting into a little bit more of a normal routine, the thing that they're familiar with, really helped the Bills out. I think this week they've been probably a little bit more focused. It is a playoff game. um, And so they're kind of back into that routine. They're practicing. Uh, They got the big news this week, you know, obviously that he's been released and been sent home. And so, Really, since you know Monday, Monday night, and then last Tuesday, where it was still just so much uncertainty, it seems like the trends have been in the positive direction when it comes to Demar and the Bills of kind of feeding off of that. Okay, and I suppose there's so much emotional e- energy, really. I suppose that that stems from that. I I was taken to, I'm not sure if, if you're aware of Jim Steins, a uh, very famous Irishman who played um, Aussie Rules. Uh, down in Australia and I watched a documentary Every Heart Beats True that's an amazing documentary anyone who um, is able to see it might be on YouTube um, but it was aired on RTE a good few years ago and I watched that and it was just a really took my back took, took me back that there was a, a, a scene where um, his team were, were playing an important match and Jim Steins unfortunately who has passed away now but at the time he was watching on from hospital and like one of the, the coaches was like this is what we're going to do we're going to do it for Jimmy Steins watching on he's watching on as well like from there is the, the the small matter of a, a football match to play here and they will be right. hopefully boosted and can harness some positive energy from, from this. Oh, I think so. And look, you know, over the last week, 
you know, DeMar Hamlin's dad would jump on a Zoom call and talk to the whole team and give them an update, you know, just so they could kind of know what was going on. And I believe he joined the, the team on a call last week. Uh, again, I, I would just be shocked if he doesn't make an appearance somehow at the stadium or maybe he tries to record a video or do something, you know, to kind of be involved in the game week process. Now, look, I'll, I'll – make the weird segue to the actual football game. They're probably not going to need any help this week. Uh, they are playing the Miami Dolphins. Tua Tagovailoa has had several concussions this year, the Dolphins quarterback. We don't know if he's going to play this weekend. They could be playing their backup quarterback. They're going from Miami, where it's probably 65 or 70 degrees this week, and they're going to go to Buffalo, and it'll probably be in the teens or the 20s. It's historically difficult for a warm-weather team to go to a cold-weather situation and play well. It's you know, You're just out of your element. You're, it's out of, an, if not a normal situation, and you're uncomfortable, and most teams don't respond well. So um, they may not need the spark that DeMar Hamlin would provide if he's at the stadium or involved in the game day somehow. But I think he probably wants to be there if possible. Well, hopefully he does make an appearance because it is like when I was even reading it yesterday in the news headlines that he was a charge. It's just lost for words. Really, really is amazing. So sticking with the football side of things then, because we are exactly a month away from the Super Bowl, which will take place on February 12th. 12th at State Farm Stadium, Glendale, Arizona. So you mentioned the Bills there should have enough to progress. Where shall we go next? Uh, Tampa, Dallas, I suppose I fully understand not having faith in the Cowboys, but perhaps you could say the same about the Buccaneers, even if they have the greatest of all time at quarterback. Do you have faith in either of these sides, Shep? Yeah, so first off, you know, Shane, I mean, I know you're you're new in your infancy of an <laughs> NFL football fan. This is traditionally my favorite weekend of the NFL season. You've got, you know, really, you, you know, it's do or die, win or go home football games, Saturday, all day Sunday, and now they've expanded it into Monday night. And look, the NFL, they're not they're not dummies. I mean, they know what they're doing when it comes to getting eyeballs on televisions and and dollar signs into their pockets. They put Tom Brady and America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, Monday night, they're going to play uh, in in Tampa Bay. And so you've got, you know, one more time, could this be Brady's last game? I doubt it. It sounds like he's going to come back next year. And you've got the Dallas Cowboys who, you know, love them or hate them, people can't turn them off. So uh, they played earlier in this season. Uh, actually, I think the season opener, the Buccaneers won that game on a Sunday night. They Dak Prescott uh, injured his hand in that football game and was out several weeks before coming back. Uh, the th- interesting thing to watch here is with the Dallas Cowboys, they had a very, very bad performance last Sunday against Washington. If they have another bad performance, would their coach or excuse me, their uh, owner, Jerry Jones, be – I guess um, impetuous enough to fire Mike McCarthy. And you've got Sean Payton, who's like this, you know, gold standard coach that's just waiting out there. He took a year off after coaching the Saints for about 15 years. And it's rumored that he is really interested in going to Dallas and the Dallas owner wants to get him there. But would you fire a coach that got you to the playoffs and and almost got you to win the division? So that's one of the big stories kind of circling around that game there. It should be a good football game no matter what, but there's this – other situation that's going on the sidelines as well. Should be interesting. Now you mentioned I'm uh, dipping my toe in the NFL scene. I'm in, my supporting is in its infancy. You know, I suppose I have to give a mention here because it's been a while. There's there's no Jets in the playoffs, Shep. You were right. No. I was wrong. 
Yeah, I, I, I'll, you know, I bow down to your superior knowledge. It was all that early season hysteria and and everything else is just. I'm crushed, Chef. I'm, I'm crushed. I'm crushed, if I'm honest. Uh, we do have a text in here, though, on a more serious note, looking for an update on Lamar Jackson. He's uh, reportedly facing an uphill battle to play on Sunday in Ravens-Bengals. Yeah, so this is an interesting situation. Um, he has not played in several weeks. We don't know whether or not he's going to play. Uh, and look, this is the, the Ravens and the Cincinnati Bengals. These are division rivals. They've played twice this season, including last weekend. And the Bengals really didn't have any problems whatsoever in, in beating the Lamar-less uh, Baltimore, Baltimore Ravens. He could potentially play. He may decide he's still too injured or he just doesn't want to play. And that's really what the how this game is going to hinge. I mean, if he plays, they're just a much more dynamic and a much better football team. I mean, he was the MVP like two or three seasons ago. He's a really good quarterback. Uh, but if he doesn't play, they're they're barely a playoff team, you know? And so, uh, plus they have to go to Cincinnati and play Joe Burrow and deal with all that. And look, let me tell you something. The Bengals are upset with everything that happened with the DeMar Hamlin situation. You know, you, you remove yourself from the DeMar side of it and you – go back to the football side of it. And the Bengals lost out on an opportunity to potentially be the number one seed in the AFC, host the AFC championship game, have a bye this week like the Kansas City Chiefs have. And the Bengals are upset, and they're going to be out for vengeance. And uh, whether or not Lamar plays, I think the Bengals are going to win this game, and I think they may win it easily. Okay. Um, Other than that, like bigger picture here, like – are we going to see any upsets or anything that, that is outstanding or, or should most matches go to form? So I think the game you need to look at as a quote-unquote upset would be Minnesota and the Giants, the Vikings and the, and the New York Giants. That's this Sunday middle game. I think it kicks off around, uh, you know, 3 or 4 o'clock Eastern time. Mm. So the, the Vikings, Shane, this year, I don't know how much attention you paid to them, but they were a roller coaster, okay? They were in tight games. They won 12 or 13 games, and I think they had a, a negative point differential for the season. I mean, every game that they won was a one-score game, okay? And they got blown out a couple of other times. Kirk Cousins is either a superhero or a goat. I mean, it, there is just really no in-between here. And uh, he does not usually play well, their quarterback, does not play well when the spotlight is on him. And there is no brighter spotlight than the NFL playoffs for these quarterbacks. And so they're going to be hosting the New York Giants, who are in the first year of their head coach, Brian Daybowl, and they've played way above their expectations. And so there's it would not really shock anybody, I don't think, that if the Giants rolled into Minneapolis and won that football game on Sunday afternoon, it would be an incredible story for the Giants. Okay, good stuff. My final question to you, Chef, just in case I don't uh, get another Thursday evening with you, depending on, on how our weeks pan out, who's going to win it overall? Who, 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 who should my money be on? So I definitely think it's going to be one of the three AFC teams. I think it's going to be the Chiefs, the Bengals, or the Bills. They've played the best football all season long. I think their quarterbacks have separated themselves. They are just on a different level. So I think it's going to be one of those three teams. My dark horse might be the San Diego Chargers, excuse me, the Los Angeles Chargers. That was Freudian slip there. But, uh, I mean, I think the way that Patrick Mahomes is playing right now, the Chiefs have things rocking and rolling. But I'm going to pick the Bengals because they got my man Joe Burrow, my man Jamar Chase. They were close to winning it last year, and they're hot and they are angry. So I'm going to take the bill, uh, the Bengals, excuse me. Okay, okay. 
I'll go with you, Shep. I've, I've followed you. I'd follow you into war at this stage. You know, I'm, I hang on, hang on all your <laughs> words. I'm all over it. I'm all over it. Uh, Jeff Shepard, listen, thank you very much uh, for chatting. Um, some really good stuff and some really positive news uh, for uh, Damar Hamlin uh, as well. So it is uh, great to see, and I'm sure Shep will be joining. Uh, perhaps not me, but will be joining us on Game On over the next uh, coming weeks uh, in the build-up to the Super Bowl. Paul Curry is still here. We're going to chat football in a few moments' time. Game On Football. Now, you're very welcome back to Game On as we chat association football with former professional football player, Paul Corey. Paul, um, we have transfers to discuss. We have League Cup results to discuss. Uh, let us start with last night's um, shock uh, result in the English League Cup with Southampton defeating uh, Manchester City and Gavin Bazunu playing a star role. In fact, before I get your thoughts, let's hear from the man himself. It's a huge statement of performance from the team, but for you personally, Gavin, a clean sheet against your former club, what does that mean? Yeah, it's massive. It's not just me, it's the whole team. You know, we've worked so hard since the new managers come in on defending the box and being really hard to beat. You know, Prousey says it all the time. We just need to be a hard team to play against. We need to, you know, work on defending and then, you know, these results come and you have to just take them. This is it. It wasn't just the front foot, though. You were able to restrict them so much at the back. From your perspective, perspective Gavin, why was that? I think that's because what we've been working on the last few weeks, you know, um, the players in front of me have been absolutely amazing. You know, they've really worked hard on defending the box and, you know, being a really difficult team to beat and I think we showed that tonight. Does it feel like a very well-timed game that you go to Everton now with that little bit extra something? Yeah, definitely coming off of the back of the last two results. I think we can take a lot of positivity and bring this momentum into the game on Saturday. Gavin Bazunu chatting to Sky Sports there. Paul, Southampton obviously haven't been going well in the league so this is a huge result for Southampton, a huge result for their manager, a huge result for Gavin Bazunu. Yeah, Shane, Nathan Jones really needed that result last night and, and to build on the momentum that Gavin mentioned there with the win against Crystal Palace on the weekend. So it's it's been difficult times for Southampton. It's actually been difficult times for Gavin Bazunu as well. You know, a couple of individual errors. He's obviously not got the protection in front of him that he, he would have liked and he's probably had a, a bit more to do than the average Premier League goalkeeper. But last night was, was much more like from Nathan Jones. And he probably, listen, he needs time. It's a very young squad that he's working with. There's always going to be mistakes when you're playing young players. But last night was a really solid performance and one that they can certainly build on. And I guess from a, a selfish and Irish point of view, Gavin Bazunu was, was very much part of that. Yeah, and not only is his shot stopping and everything that you would expect of a goalkeeper, the highlights on Twitter were, were him just pinging these 50-yard passes and everything. The distribution is just ridiculous. It's something we're, we're blessed with with regards to both the goalkeepers that we have. Callagher is quite good with his feet, but Gavin is is very good, um, mm. even in tight areas when he's been asked from centre-halves or full-backs to control the ball in tight areas like the majority of Premier League teams do when they play from the back, he is super comfortable and there was one ball he hit last night, it was about 60 yards out to the right wing and he took yeah. the whole Man City because Man City play with such a high press he just killed the whole press with one pass and he got Southampton up the pitch and that was you know, it was very obvious within different moments of the game last night that he was he was very comfortable with his feed. Last night wasn't so much about his shot stopping. You know, Man City failed to register a shot and target, which is difficult to believe when you think of all the riches they have in the final third. But it was his reading of the game, it was his organisation, it was the communication with the back four that was particularly prominent last night. And there was one instance and probably the best example of it last night when De Bruyne came on in the second half he's looking for the run of Haaland and he flashes a really good ball across the, the six yard box and Gavin has just read it in his anticipation you could see that it brought a confidence to the back four and 
he's such a young keeper and he's such a young man but he plays with such a maturity at times what will this result do for him I suppose from that mental aspect as well considering when when you're conceding a lot of goals when your team are down there and as you mentioned as well there's been a couple of individual mistakes that listen I don't know the, the, the fella personally but might be playing on his mind but he's obviously able to park things and, and he's showing um, a lot of maturity as well even in that interview as well but but what will this result do for him personally? Well I, I played with him at Shamrock Rovers as well I say I played with him I watched him train because I was so injured <laughs> at that point in time He, he had a better view so you could, could study <laughs> yeah, him more take it in <laughs> He is the most level-headed, and he was at that age, young man that you'll ever come across. Like, there's one thing with Gavin is that he he backs himself, he believes in himself, and irrespective of, I'm sure, how things have gone over the last number of weeks and months, I'm sure he never lost faith in in his own ability, and that's something that will stand to him over the course of his career. And it's so important because at the top level of, of Premier League football, it can be so cutthroat. Now, he's lucky in the sense that he's got somebody in Nathan Jones who seems to want to stick by him. There was a time there where I thought that Alex McCarthy might be brought in, just somebody with a bit more experience of being around the Premier League, but they've stuck with Gavin, and I'm sure that was a huge boost of confidence to him. But he's got all the tools, he's got the right temperament. There's absolutely nothing stopping Gavin going on and having a magnificent Premier League career. And don't forget that Man City also have a buyback clause in that contract. Yeah, first, so, first refusal, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. So for him to go out, I'm sure he, he probably feels like he has a point to prove to Manchester City that, you know, maybe they shouldn't have let him go or you know that he should have been promoted very hard to dislodge somebody like Edison but I'm sure naturally enough you would want to prove a point and put in a solid performance last night so it was it was great to see from from Gavin and from a Southampton point of view they have a huge amount of work to do but last night and the Crystal Palace result on the weekend is, is certainly a good starting point Absolutely well hopefully it continues to go well uh, for Gavin Bazunu. and uh, there were there was other Irish interest uh, last night in the League Cup as well not as positive unfortunately Joe Hodge uh, missed a penalty uh, as did Ruben Neves uh, for Wolves uh, they were defeated 4-3 uh, in the shootout after the match ended one all in normal time against Nottingham Forest however uh, Julian Lopetegui has said that Hodge will grow and improve following his penalty miss so it's it's nice to see that Hodges is on the radar of the first team, mm. played in League Cup, and albeit yes, he missed the penalty, but that long term should not affect him. There's bigger things to come for Joe Hodge. It was it was obviously difficult last night that it was an opportunity for Wolves to get into the semi final, and he's unfortunately the one along with Ruben Neves, who's who's missed penalties. Just looking at the players that were available, you you might have expected somebody with a bit more experience. The likes of an Adama Traore will come up and hit it or slap it with his bicep. <laughs> <laughs> he, he wasn't oiled up last night, was he? No, no, maybe no. that's why Shane. But I, I, <laughs> he was you know, out of character. <laughs> for Wolves, they've they've turned a bit of a corner under Lapategi. Uh, they look a far better outfit than they did I saw them earlier on in the season against Stamford Bridge and there was alarm bells going off with how poor they were and for Joe Hodge which is very promising is that as they've turned that corner his his minutes have, have somewhat gone up and if you think of the period of time that they would have had with some of the Portuguese players being at the World Cup and Lopetegui getting a good look at Joe Hodge he's obviously run his eye over him and thought yeah this is somebody I can use it's not an easy midfield to get into when you have the likes of Jean Moutinho um, Nunes, even the the new lad that they brought in, Matthias, during the summer, you know yeah. they they are stacked with experience and, and Portuguese experience, particularly in the middle of the pitch. But he seemed to have used Joe Hodge at different times, and that's really promising for a young player. He had a difficult leg break a couple of years ago, so he's obviously you know mentally strong 
kid and uh, I would expect that he would be drip fed more minutes as, as he continues to grow into that Wolves shirt so last night was of course disappointing and difficult for him but there will be there'll be bigger moments ahead for Joe Hodge Absolutely no game time for Nathan Collins which in a way is, is kind of a good thing when you look at it so that that makes him to be such a senior player now and such a regular that he's not playing League Cup football, League Cup football he's more playing League football which is which is good to see and he's been doing really well um, at Wolves we chatted briefly in Manchester City I suppose well we only really focus on the Irish aspect but what will that result do to Manchester City because they have the uh, small matter of a Manchester derby coming up against a United team banging form they look tired they really do Shane and that that would be my worry for Man City going forward is that some of their players are looking really leggy now he obviously chopped and changed last night and he played the likes of a Cole Palmer Calvin Phillips was way off it mm. like noticeably bad and that is worrying for Calvin Phillips and he's obviously been in the spotlight with his his return from the World Cup and the conversation around his weight yeah. he just looked so short in confidence last night that he was a shadow of the player that we saw at Leeds who played with such a, a spring in his step he played forward a lot of the time a lot of his play last night was safe it was backwards and for the first goal he was very slow to react to one of the balls and I think he coughed up possession as well earlier on in, in that kind of pattern of that attack so worrying signs for one two of the players Gomez was another one who came in left back diabolical last night so there's a couple of players there who I'm sure have been knocking on Pep Guardiola's door saying listen I deserve a chance who he will turn around to after last night and saying well I've gave you a chance and you didn't take it so there's a couple of questions around some of those players just with regards to maybe how much the World Cup has taken out of them the number of fixtures that they've had to play over the last 12 months and that would be the concern that I would have for Manchester City but the Carabao Cup Pep always says it's it's not number one in his radar it's been good to him and they've won it and it's it's maybe kick-started success later on in the year but the weekend is a bigger priority and that's why Haaland and co didn't play last night Pep says League Cup doesn't matter too much. He also said that he's uh, something special planned to defeat Manchester United, which I'm uh, very intrigued about because I know we joked off air about like what is this something Champions League special plan of <laughs> Scott Carson playing up front or, or something ridiculous, you know? But um, listen, they're going to have to be up for it because United, as I mentioned there, I mentioned on yesterday's show uh, we had Conan Byrne on and, and we chatted in, in detail about Manchester United and and the strengths um, of Eric Ten Hag and what he has brought to uh, the club. Um, 20 competitive victories in 27 games the fewest number of, of any United manager in the club's history as well and that kind of rejuvenation and positivity that is there as well they have sa- signed Voigt Weghorst is he the type of player that Manchester United needed <laughs> I don't know I really I can't get Big my man head on top. This. I can't get my head around this one like he was he was effective when he came on against Argentina in, yeah. the, in that quarter final but if you recall back to how Netherlands played for that last 10 minutes it was very much route one and it was play off the big man and see if we can pick up second balls and that's not how Manchester United typically play um, you Is know, he going to stick out then like a sore thumb? Like, well, I, I just I just don't understand where he fits into the system like I'm sure Ten Hag I was going to say he's pulling his hair out but <laughs> <laughs> there is no hair to pull, pull out like surely there's a more kind of elite centre forward or somebody who's got a bit of a better CV out there that they could not break the bank for but at least stretch their their spending power and get somebody in who would excite fans and somebody who could build around going forward like Vought Veghorst is now 30 he's had a spell in the Premier League with Burnley where it didn't quite work out yes he's going to be playing with a, with a better team but there's nothing on his CV or there's nothing that we see within his game that would suggest okay this is going to be the answer for Manchester United longer term everything that we're talking about with Man U now is okay how can we plan to, to get them back into the top four which 
Ten Hag to be fair to him has done quite well but to get to the next level of success you're surely going to need somebody better to, to build your team around I know it's only a temporary loan but for between now and the end of the season how many times is he going to play how many goals he's going to score is, is that not the issue that United are broke they, they can't break the bank and this is like I highly doubt Vakehorst uh, was was Den Hag's first choice no and maybe they're still suffering because of the wages that they've thrown out to Ronaldo and have had to pay over a period of time you wouldn't know where they are from a financial point of view the club is also up for sale and the Glazers are looking to move it on maybe they don't want to throw any more money at it and maybe it's a case that they need to get to the end of the season maybe see the, the club change hands and see who they can bring in from there but it's a funny one I, I don't really know how much he's going to feature for mm. Manchester United I'd be surprised unless injuries occur that he would he would play but it's a it's a funny one, Shane. He's not going to play, is he? Like they've they've got a big game coming this weekend. They seem to be settled with eleven or twelve players at this moment in time who they know can produce results. When and where he plays, I'm not too sure right now. How do you think that Manchester derby will go? Like, how will United approach it? Surely, given on paper Manchester City have better players, yes. But if you look at the two teams going into it on form, United should like they should have a proper go. Surely, they will have a go. And if you think back to how they played against Liverpool Old Trafford it was very high intensity high press get after the opposition I'd be su- I wouldn't be surprised if that's how they they go about Manchester City and just don't let them settle into their pattern last night Southampton did it to them Man City couldn't get really get going they couldn't get their the usual sort of fluency into their play and they struggled and when you do that they not that they struggle but they don't look as pretty on the eye as they typically do now Haaland didn't play and Haaland's an outball for them that I'm sure they will use in the weekend but Manchester United get after Man City they'll, mm. they'll be sniffing them and they'll be thinking listen we owe these um, we owe them one I guess some of the, the results that they've handed out to Manchester United over the last period of time just looking down here 6-3 4-1 2-0 and then Man U 1-2-0 so they they probably feel like they owe them one over the course of the last 18 months but they'll get after them and they'll try and make it difficult for Man City you just can't you can't sit off Man, Man City and Pep Guardiola's team and, and let them play and let them express themselves you need to make it difficult for them I'm sure that's what Ten Hag would be telling the side well, Manchester United airing on the, the side of experience Weg Horse would be the uh, fourth striker aged 30 or over that they have signed in three years after Edison Cavani uh, Odina Gallo remember him and the return of Cristiano Ronaldo so we'll be interested to see how it goes uh, if United defeat City uh, there is a small matter on Sunday of the London derby and if Arsenal were to defeat Spurs like, are we too early to say game over <laughs> Arsenal I'm, star- I'm starting to think it. they they play each other um, in the league in February which is obviously going to be a huge game with regards to either closing the gap or extending the gap but there, there's five points between them at the moment Arsenal have looked pretty good for for large parts of this season I think the players who they rely on have, have stood up the likes of Martinelli the likes of Osaka Martin Odegaard has been superb even when Gabriel Jesus got injured Eddie Nketi has stepped up and he's and he's proved that he can score goals in that Arsenal team when he plays so there's a confidence about their play and when you have that you've got somebody with the energy of, of Mikhail Teddy kind of fueling you from behind they seem like any challenge that they've had put up against them they've they've come through with flying colours so Tottenham's a big game it's a massive one for Arsenal fans the way the clubs have gone over the last kind of two three months and the results that they've had I, I wouldn't be surprised if Arsenal were to win that one and having the knowledge of how that Manchester game will go on the Saturday it could be a really big opportunity to open up that gap 
Well, it will be interesting if they stamp their authority as kings of London. Um, a bit more closer to today. Tonight, in fact, uh, there is a Premier League match, Fulham against Chelsea. I know you have close connections uh, with Chelsea. Paul uh, Felix, Felix could make his debut. Um, will he fit seamlessly into Chelsea's style of play or is this this question that I just keep asking that we're not sure of what the style of play is because Potter has been dealt a blow with so many injuries it's it's difficult to say I was listening to the two lads speaking about this on Monday and they are correct in saying that he's a lovely player he's a lovely technical player he's you know so good with the ball at his feet but how much of an impact does he make on teams and on matches and that would be the one question that I would have about Joe Felix he might kind of come in and out of games and, and maybe be somebody that you need to carry a, a different parts of a 90 minutes kind of similar to Akai Havertz and, and how he plays for Chelsea but what I've seen of Joe Felix particularly playing for Portugal I think he's a superb player Shane I mm. really do um, he's he's got so much up his sleeve with regards to how he can create chances how he can score goals that I'm positive I'm, I'm <laughs> hopeful and positive that he's going to make an impact I think he can bring goals to the team and maybe he can bring an energy that's been lacking so obviously over the last couple of weeks are you hopeful and positive about Chelsea overall? Because I think I was reading Chris Sutton's comments earlier uh, on the BBC website. He said Chelsea are in complete disarray. They're making it up as they go along. They're out of the FA Cup, out of the League Cup, 10th in the Premier League. They've only won two of their past nine matches and fans have chanted for former manager Thomas Tuchel and, oh, ridiculously, ex-owner Roman Abramovich. But however, um, like... <sighs> What's the story? Like, are you? Are you? Would you want change? At now, like, would you no, want? No, 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 no. He he has to stop losing games first and foremost. There's been too many games where they've they've been beaten, where they should be at least kind of grafting out a draw and being difficult to beat, and they're leaking too many goals. For Graham Potter, he needs to start getting more out of the players that he has. Yes, he's he's got a, a number of injuries that he's having to juggle, and it's very difficult. Like, if you look at it, Reese James. Um, ben Chilwell and Wesley Fofana so you could say three out of his probably first choice back four are injured and then he's got the problems further up the pitch even N'Golo Kante in the middle of the pitch who would most naturally play anytime he's fit M- so, Mendy as well I know Kepa was yeah, first choice coming in exactly so, again. so he, he has issues and you could maybe forgive him for some of the results based on the players that he's been missing but there needs to be more hunger there needs to be more desire some of the players don't look as if they're running at this moment in time that's what will concern me that you know are they taking the messages on board that the staff are delivering to them? Have they kind of packed it in? The likes of a Hakim Ziyech who hasn't played a lot for Chelsea. Are those is, players is looking not, to move on? Is that not though, sorry to cut across you, but is that not United under Rangnick? Is that not just mm. glaring signs that a change is needed and the likes of a Pochettino or whoever maybe could get more out of these players? I, I think it needs freshening up. They sign players in the summer who haven't worked, the likes of Cucurella. Um, Koulibaly Sterling Aubameyang they just haven't worked and the recruitment needs to be better but he has to get more out of the team that he has at this moment in time and work with them and at least show signs that we're working towards something and you can see a pattern in their play you can see the the formation you can see what it is he's trying to do with the side that hasn't been obvious of late and then the other side of things is they have to get the recruitment right it's no surprise that they brought in the head of recruitment from Brighton somebody who Graham Potter obviously trusts mm. um, to to at least assist on, on that side of things and try to get the right players into the building that are going to want to play for Graham Potter in the way that he wants to play. So he needs to address things on the pitch. He has to stop losing games. But on the other side of things, Chelsea's recruitment needs to get better. The Enzo Fernandez kind of fiasco worries me because that smells a bit like Todd Bowley's has seen him during the World Cup and thought, 
get Happy that days. guy in. Yeah, get that guy in and pay 100 million. That's very reactive. If you look at Man City and the way they recruit players, they identified it tends to go under the radar for a long period of time. Yes, they pay premiums for the likes of a Jack Grealish, but if you look at the Haaland deal, they identified him, they needed him, they got him in the building, they paid the right price for him at the right time and they filled a void that they needed I would love to see Chelsea do something similar and gradually put the pieces of jigsaw together as opposed to these reactionary signings the likes of an Aubameyang the likes of a potential Enzo Fernandez, and just start getting the recruitment right because it's so so important Not time to press the panic button just yet Fulham Arsenal kicks off at Fulham Chelsea Fulham, sorry Fulham Chelsea should say uh, kicks off at 8pm in one of my favourite Premier League grounds Craven Cottage has that bit of old school character uh, Paul Corey thank you very very much uh, for detailing all of uh, the goings on in football we're going to be chatting cricket with Nathan Johns in a few moments time Game on Cricket now, Nathan Johns, Irish Times journalist, joins me now for the home stretch of Game On on this uh, Thursday evening as we chat cricket. And Zimbabwe defeated Ireland by five wickets in the first of three T20 men's internationals in Harare today. Zimbabwe won the toss and asked Ireland to bat, and it turned out to be a good decision as the Irish were bowled out for only 114 in the final over Gareth Delaney, top scored for Ireland, making 24. Uh, Nathan, was this a uh, bad pitch or a bad performance in terms of uh, Ireland's batting? Probably both. I think judging by the Zimbabwe performance of the bat as well, nobody found it especially easy uh, to score with the bat. But, you know, any time you're bowled out for 114 as a side is is a, is a fairly poor effort. And, and you know, Ireland were, were fairly, you know, admitting that afterwards. Um, they tend to do this a little bit when they've had a bit of a gap without games. Um, you know, it's been a while since they last played outdoors at the World Cup. They've been indoor training up in in North County Club in Balbriggan there. So you know, adjusting to conditions probably was a was a significant uh, challenge. And in in previous series the, earlier on this year, when they've had big gaps between international matches, they do not all the time, but they can sometimes start slowly. So perhaps this wasn't entirely unpredictable. Uh, you mentioned there Zimbabwe. They only lost five wickets in reply and Ireland sense an improbable win. However, a 30 from former England international Gary Ballins and an unbeaten 34 from veteran Sean Williams uh, was what saw the Zimbabweans over the line with two overs uh, to spare. The second T20 game will be played on Saturday uh, in the same venue. Ireland were missing a number of their top-line players, uh, the likes of Paul Sterling and Lorcan Tucker being allowed to play franchise T20 games. Is there much to read into that? This isn't going to start some West Indian-esque civil war? It's not going to start a civil war because the players were allowed to go. Yeah. Um, in this instance, Cricket Ireland kind of gave... Look, there's more and more of these leagues coming up and Irish players are getting more exposure, so they're going to be more in demand. Um, it used to be just one or two lads. It's now four, five, six, potentially. Um, so when half your team's going away, I think Cricket Ireland needs to realise that they're you know they're not in a position to, to, to pay... Uh, the players as much as as the these franchise leagues are, so they need to be smart. And players still want to play for Ireland, but they do also want to go off and and make life changing amounts of money. Um, and you know, in the grand scheme of things, uh, three T20s against Zimbabwe, which is all they're missing. The lads are coming back for the One Day Internationals uh, later on this month. Um, you know, when they're only missing those three T20s, it's in the grand scheme of things, it's not the end of the world from a, from an Irish point of view. 
Absolutely. And hopefully they will uh, bounce back on Saturday. Now, other cricket news, Nathan, that I wanted to uh, tease out with you is that uh, Australia men's cricket team has withdrawn from their one-day international series against Afghanistan in March following further restrictions on women's and girls' rights imposed by the Taliban. Afghanistan's Taliban-led administration last month imposed a ban on women attending universities. Girls have been banned from high school since March. They've also been excluded from parks and gyms. Australia and Afghanistan were scheduled to play three ODIs in the United Arab Emirates but Cricket Australia scrapped the series after extensive consultation with stakeholders including the Australian government this is a big statement by Australia like what will this do to cricket for Afghanistan I suppose given the current circumstances if teams refuse to play them well, that, that largely depends on whether other teams join Australia. And to be perfectly honest with you, I, I suspect that is unlikely. I mean, in, in a way here, Australia is doing something that's not really their job. Um, it's it's the International Cricket Council's job to kind of decide what goes on with Afghanistan here because, you know, it's as, as well as the, the women and girls cricket aspect, um, and it's, by the way, it's not the first time Australia have done this. They, they pulled out of a hosting a test match with Afghanistan in, in 2021, um, that probably didn't get as much uh, attention this time around, primarily because this time around the Afghanistan players and their high-profile players have, have reacted. Um, but if it's just Australia doing this, it's it's not going to do a lot for Afghanistan. Um, the ICC, the International Cricket Council, the sports governing body, has said that they are very concerned by the same developments at the end of December, re, um, female university education, that Australia have you cited as the my main reason um, behind this latest uh, development. So if, if the ICC are concerned and they're going to discuss the, ma- the, the matter at a meeting in March, um, so we'll find out more then, um, that's when things are going to start to get a little bit more hairy for Afghanistan because if, if the, global, the governing body comes down on them. But it's not just uh, women and girls. I mean, you know, there are allegations that the Taliban uh, changed leadership in the Afghanistan cricket board when they took over. That constitutes political interference, which is a huge no-no under ICC rules. And um, Zimbabwe have been suspended in the past for that. Um, so if if that's going on as well, which you know th- that doesn't get discussed as much rightly because the human rights issue of, of female rights is, is more important. But you know there's a lot going on here, and the ICC has kind of kicked the can down the road a number of times since this first came up uh, when the Taliban took over. Um, you know, they've set up working groups that have taken a very long time to be instituted and then to, to report. And at the end of the day, these working groups are dealing with the Afghanistan Cricket Board, who, you know, many suspects are influenced heavily, if not run by the Taliban. So the assurances they're getting you don't hold a lot of water for a lot of people. And especially now, since the, the most recent developments from the from the Taliban government in December. OK, Nathan Johns, unfortunately that is all we have time for. Thank you very much uh, for your contribution. It will be interesting to see if other nations follow suit in that regard and hopefully Ireland do bounce back on Saturday in their T20I uh, against Zimbabwe. Big thanks to Andrew Dupuyer and Ronan Lawler working behind the scenes. Uh, Better the Silva is up next uh, here on 2FM. Marie Crow will be back uh, tomorrow evening on Game On from 6pm. But first, let's check in with the news.